how you got your first leadership gig, loving the new role, but feeling the pressure of your new responsibilities and all that expectation to perform? Well, don't worry, you're not alone. Crossing the chasm from a technical role to leadership, from doing stuff to managing and leading people is the toughest challenge any leader must make. Welcome to the Human Edge Show, the podcast dedicated to help you do just that, successfully cross the doing to leading chasm. Campbell Such here, Chief Chasm Crossing Guide. I've made all the mistakes so you don't have to. I want to help you learn those lessons much more easily by sharing my experiences and talking with brilliant people who have already figured it out. You'll get great actionable tips, strategies and techniques to make the transition so much easier and faster for you. Now let's get to it. Welcome to another episode of the Human Edge Show. Today I'm privileged and honoured to have Cathy O'Sullivan from CIO New Zealand on the show. Welcome, Cathy. It's great to have you here. Kia ora. It's a pleasure to be here. <laughs> Cathy O'Sullivan is editor for CIO New Zealand based in Auckland, a native of, if you haven't guessed already from that brief intro, the few words that she said she's from Ireland. Cathy has worked in digital print and broadcast media for almost two decades in newsrooms in, Europe, in New Zealand and across Europe. She has a keen interest in emerging and disruptive technologies, and she's in a great place with her, with her current role to be involved in all of that stuff. So welcome, Kathy. It's great to have you on the show. And what's something that not many people would know about you? Um, so this is a bit of a random one. Um, I am an open book. You know, um, people who know me know me pretty well. But one thing they may not know about me is that I'm actually related to royalty. So um, a very proud fact in my family is um, that um, one of our ancestors is um, Grace Kelly's grandfather. So Grace Kelly, who went on to um, marry the Prince of Monaco. So that's my little claim to fame. Well, wow. it's uh, the uh, the Monaco Grand Prix ran last weekend. And um, it was it was interesting. As I was watching the Grand Prix, I, I thought about uh, for some reason Grace Kelly popped up in my thoughts, and I, I wondered what had um, you know what had what had changed since uh, since she was uh, involved. Um, would you have any? Would you have you have you kept close to that? Would you know what what's what might have changed since then? Oh no, I wouldn't at all. Yeah, I've been to Monaco once, uh, but that was a long time ago with a with a backpack. So uh, yeah, no, I, I I would have no idea since. Yeah. The, the crazy glitz and glamour of Formula One on top of the craziness of uh, Monaco. It's, a, it's an amazing place. So, Kathy, just to change gears slightly, and for, for the new leaders and people that are in new leadership roles, if we could just cast your mind back to your early days in leadership, what are some of the some of the lessons, or, or perhaps just paint a picture of what your transition into leadership was, and then um, perhaps some of the the early lessons that you learned that that you think would be might be really helpful for someone in the new leadership role. And so I guess when I look back, you know, I've always been one of those people who've um, either been tapped on the shoulder or put my hand up for something. Even since my school days, you know, I was that, you know, kid when I was 11, that was the, the, the school bank manager and, you know, the person who was on the school council and very much, you know, a campaigner and very, you know, eager to connect with people and get things done. So I've always kind of had that mindset of um, not necessarily as, you know, I'm a leader, but, you know, really, really keen to, to get things moving along. Um, and I guess my first um, leadership role in a paid sense was um, when I went from being a homepage editor at Stuff in Wellington and, you know, I was very much 
concentrating on my own job um, and, you know, dealing with various people throughout the day. Um, and then I got um, shoulder tapped for a role at the New Zealand Herald as, as deputy editor. And that was quite a, um, a, a gear change for me because I had never managed people before in a sense, in a formal sense. So um, taking up that role of um, deputy editor at the Herald Online, I suddenly had 10 direct reports and some of whom were a lot more experienced than I was. And again, being, you know, an immigrant and, you know, not having that grounding that other people had of, you know, 20 plus years of growing up in New Zealand. It was um, it was a little bit daunting for me moving from that that role um, into that leadership role. Yeah. And it's, it is really interesting because a lot of new leaders, when they go into those roles, have come out of a team uh, where they've performed really well in a technical sense and been promoted into the into the leadership of that team, and then they they often do end up with uh, more senior people uh, having to manage more senior people who uh, may not see them um, as someone they should respect and and listen to. How did you manage those people and and those challenges where you were you know you were the newbie both in New Zealand from a um, uh, you know, a cultural and and national perspective, and also um, new in the role. Well, for me, what worked really well was um, just having individual individual chats with everyone in the team. So, literally, the first few weeks, taking everyone out for a cup of tea or a coffee, finding out about them and their experience, and um, you know their roles and what they enjoyed about their roles, what they didn't enjoy about their roles. And it takes time. That stuff, you have to really build up trust and connection with people that you're managing with and working with. And that's not an instant thing. It does take effort and it does take time to, to build up those relationships. So that's definitely what worked for me. Um, seeking their opinion and not going in there going, oh, you know, I have this role, so I have all the answers because you don't and you don't, you know, there's often things that they will be much better at you than than you are. Um, and they will have, you know, views on things that you do need to listen to their perspectives. So I think that's definitely the, the key thing when you are first step into a leadership role is to get to know the people and to really understand their perspectives on things. You know, you sounds like a really smart way to go in and I you know and it's perhaps something that you did naturally but may, which may not come naturally to a lot of people because one of the things that often that I often see is when people are promoted into new leadership roles suddenly they feel they have to be the boss and it just it changes a whole whole bunch of stuff in terms of the way they operate and the way they connect with people um but one of the one of the points I'd just like to pick up on what what you just talked about then was you you don't have to have a, well you don't have all the answers and you don't need to have all the answers. Um, one of the challenges is that, is that as leaders, often we feel we do have to have all the answers. What's and there's so many people in the team. You know, you know, you can't you can't know all your blind spots, and you can't know all, all of the answers to all of the questions. And plenty of people have better ideas and thoughts that that even if it's not the whole answer, it just brings some more context and roundness to it. What, what's been your approach with making sure that people feel comfortable to talk and, and give you that feedback and um, provide answers to questions where they might look at you as a position of authority where you're expected to have the answer. How do you cope with that? It, I mean, it's a hard one, right? It is a hard one because sometimes you actually may have the answer to something, but 
because of the there might be some sensitivity around that information um, that you you aren't in a position at that moment to share with them. So an example is, you know, um, I've been through a few redundancy situations where, you know, I knew that we were planning at that point for um, to 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 shape the team in a different way. And, you know, people will have questions and there are certain times where you cannot share that information because of where you are at in that stage um, of, a, of a transformation or an initiative that um, may impact the team. Um, and sometimes you just don't have the answers. <laughs> um, so, you know, just being open with people and just saying, you know, um, I, you know, I, I don't have information at this point or you know I'll, I'll get back to you on that and it, it can be hard and and sometimes as well you want people to figure out things for themselves yeah. so um you know they're you shouldn't do everyone's job for them and sometimes people have to get to a stage as well where they can figure things out for themselves and it is a balancing act sometimes knowing when to step in and help someone with something and knowing when they actually need to do it for themselves and learn and either succeed in that or fail and learn from that failing. Yeah. Yes. And that, that is, that's, that's the, the, the tightrope that you walk. And because uh, ultimately if you end up as a leader doing it all yourself, well, you're not really leading, are you? You're still back doing stuff. And ultimately your role is to help other people help you get the, the job done for your team and for your organization. And it certainly can be hard, you know, if it is if it is something that you love doing. And <laughs> um, so, you know, like um, when when I moved from, you know, um, doing the doing and being an editor and coming up with headlines and, you know, um, checking facts and all of that, you know, I really thrived and loved doing that. But sometimes as well, you have to, you know, let go of that and be okay with other people doing that when you're no longer responsible for that and letting them do it in their own way. Yeah. Yes, and, and just because it's it's different to the way you might do it doesn't mean it's bad. It might even be better. And even if it is, then you can come to them and have a conversation around some of the other things that they some of the other things they might have thought about that they didn't think about contextually with you know with your bigger picture and, and experience. It is really hard for many leaders that come out of technical roles into leadership to let go of that that doing that stuff and especially the stuff they love. And one of the th one of the things that I've um, found in my my career is that if I if I can work out the things that I love doing and do more of that and have, find other people that can do the that love doing the things that I'm either not good at or don't like doing, then that's really nice. And and um, how do you go about uh, identifying the strengths in, in the people in your team and then building a team around uh, and then building a team in, in whatever shape you might build a team. Again, it's just getting to know those people and, you know, re really having um, good conversations with them about what they like doing and also just keeping, you know, keeping an eye on, on their work and their output as well. And, you know, because sometimes things people say they like doing, they might not necessarily be the best at and you can help them on that journey to, to make them better in, in, in some cases. Um, 
you know, really, I'm a big fan of, you know, um, knowing your own strengths as well and your own weaknesses and things that you're not good at. Um, and really encouraging the team as well to explore that. And that might be through, you know, different courses or there are online tools that help can help people as well identify their strengths and, and things that they need to work on. And then having those conversations with them when you're when you're coaching them or, or through performance conversations around the things that they are are strong at and the things they enjoy doing and the areas that they're you know either not interested in or need some help with so a lot of conversations and really tapping into um the passion you see it you know in people's eyes when they they light up when they're talking about something that they really enjoy doing or you know equally um you can sometimes tell when there's something that they're really struggling with and and they might need some more support with yeah and so so what you what you're talking what i'm taking from that is a real um focus not on just the words that are being said and uh, and what you're talking about but also that whole reading the person and looking for the sparks of interest and the and the sparks of of frustration and challenge and then being able to make decisions accordingly to how you might be able to step in and help them uh, with with their yeah. roles and it might be just um you know it might just be a really open conversation saying you know Campbell, tell me, what does a good day at work look like to you? And then just, you know, like I'm a, a prolific note taker. So if I was having that kind of conversation with you, I would, you know, take a lot of notes and and, and pick up on those positive signals that you said that is a good day at work, i.e. this is the kind of thing that drives and motivates me. Yeah. Well, that's uh, that's really insightful because then it's it's sort of like, are you sort of saying, tell me what your perfect day would look like or what a great day would look like for you? Is that, was that how you I don't think that? there's ever a perfect day, but <laughs> tell me what a good day looks like. You yeah. know, you can you can end that day and go, you know what, that was a great day. I was really productive. You know, yeah. I nailed that meeting and, you know, I hit my whatever I was aiming for on, on, on that particular project. And yeah, I think it's it's really good to focus in on the, what is working. Yeah. Yeah, that's um, that's that's really insightful. You talked about coaching, and there's a lot of talk these days about leaders and their and the the value of coaching. You know, the the command and control approach of the industrial sort of age seems to have run its day, and it's much it's you know the, the even though it feels like it's a, a much more powerful way to go, it actually ends up working against you. And that, that coaching seems to be such a powerful way of bringing people along and helping you achieve the goals for yourself and for your team and for them and, and growing the organization. What's been your approach to coaching? Have you had some some help with how to coach? Is it something that you've just learned in your in your journey? As a new leader, how would you talk to a a, um, a, a new leader that was that was in a new role and talk to them about coaching and how they might coach their direct reports? I mean for me, it has been um, it has been learning from past leaders and who've been influential on my career. Um, also, I've done some some leadership training, um, which you know has has been extremely helpful. Um, you know, courses through various organisations that I've worked for, um, but also just um, I think it's important when you are coaching to reflect on you know, what works, what's going to work for this person, because everyone is is different. So being able to flex your leadership style depends 
depending on where that person is and what they may need at the time um, and depending on the situation that they're in as well and what they need coaching with. Because if it's a staff issue, for example, and you're, you're dealing with, I don't know, bad behavior or um, something like that, that someone's dealing with, that can be a very different situation to if um, someone's really struggling because of time management or they just have you know, a lot on their plate. So it really depends on the situation and the individual and how you think they're going to respond. But again, having that um, relationship with the person and knowing what they're, um, how they may react or or what they respond to, I think is key to to that. And it, it's, it, it, it differs depending on the individual. Yeah. And it, and it, it keeps coming back to that common theme um, that I'm that I'm hearing, which is make sure you really understand your team and the people as individuals in the team, what motivates them, what they're good at, what what fires them up, what they're challenged with, and then you can have that. Um, you can then work with them to really help them overcome their challenges or work through their challenges. Um, understand yeah, the lessons out of their mistakes. Um, yeah, and I really think you know um, it is you are there to provide support for your people. So you're not going to solve all their problems or have all the answers for them, but you need to be a sounding board for them, and they need to be able to trust in you to have an open conversation with you around the things that they're struggling with. And you know that's not always easy because sometimes the things that they may be struggling in. It's, you know, it might be something that you've done or, you know, something that you have influence over as well. So, you know, being open to also, you know, being criticized yourself or being told, you know, we need more clarity on X or, you know, you don't have a vision around, you know, we need this. So, you know, sometimes it can be hard as well because, you know, the, the feedback that you may be getting is it's, it's, it's on you. Yeah. How do you cope with that? Because one of the things that I've found really powerful is to is to seek feedback and to to try and take it on board. I mean, we all have blind spots, and and feedback from others can really help us. But but one of the <laughs> sort of on the flip side of that coin, every time I get feedback that I don't want to hear, uh, even though I need to hear it, it really stings and it's really hard and it's very um, easy to then dismiss it or make up an excuse to yourself for why it might be irrelevant feedback. How do you how do you cope with getting really good feedback that might not be what you want to hear? And I think just having that context as well, like why that individual is giving you that feedback and is it coming from a space of they want the, you know, they want things to improve or, you know, is it a case of they are, you know, they may be unhappy with something, but it, there's another motivating factor behind them giving you that feedback. But I think, you know, my belief is that most of the feedback that you get from people, it comes from a good place where they want things to improve or change and to kind of take that um, sting out of it to, to, to focus on the, okay, well, this is actually a gift. Getting this bad feedback is actually a gift because it will help me change things for this person and for my organization, or at least give me that framework from in, in, in what they're operating in. Yeah, that's that's a really good way to, to frame it up. It's a gift. And, and, and it doesn't even have to be delivered in a way that's necessarily positive. It might be a really upset person giving you that gift, <laughs> which yeah. might make it even harder to, to take on board and yeah. look at it and go, well, there's something in here that I can really benefit from uh, as a leader or as a person or you know, helping my team yeah. be better. 
Yeah. It can, but I think as well, if people are upset, it comes from a place where they actually care. They care so much that they are responding in that way. I think the worst thing is people that just um, have no emotion whatsoever, you know. Um, I actually don't mind when people are upset or angry because it does mean that they actually care about what they're talking about. Um, so I think just having that empathy and, and realizing that they come from a place of wanting things to change and it's on you as a leader to actually reflect on that. Yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? Cause the, the, the flip side, there's this sort of that, that anger and passion are flip sides of the same coin, but they both, you it comes from engagement, not from disengagement. And the worst yeah. thing you want is disengagement. And when you look at the stats globally, uh, especially over a, 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 um, a survey that Gallup did a few years ago, the stats on disengagement and you know, lack of lack of motivation and engagement in organisations um, globally is is tragic. Um, and even in the US and probably New Zealand, similarly, you know, they're talking as high as only thirty percent of people are engaged in their in their roles. So you know, and, and that all comes down. Most of that comes down. The biggest influence on that comes down to who their who their manager is and who their leader is. So yeah, you've, you've got a lot of. You've got a lot riding on your shoulders when you're leading a team. Um, and Absolutely. And, you know, it can be quite um, isolating sometimes, I think. You know, you have um, sometimes when you're a leader, you know, you have all these people reporting into you who are looking to you, um, but also, you know, you're reporting up to someone. So I think as well as a leader, it's really important to have um, someone that you can talk to who's not necessarily someone you report to, um, but someone who you can have um, a conversation with and feel safe in either venting about something or, again, having a sounding board. Um, I think that's so important. And it's definitely something I've learned along the way, the importance of having those allies so um, I really think it's important that as a leader that you've got your own support network and um, it can be quite isolating, you know, having people report into you and you're reporting to someone and um, it's so important to have a sounding board and someone that you trust who you can um, either vent to or seek their opinion on something and just having that outside perspective for me has been instrumental in helping me through some really challenging situations either with one of my direct reports or even with um, with a, a leader at that time who, you know, for one reason or another, we weren't gelling. So really, it's really, really important as a leader, as a new leader, that you do have a support network that's outside of um, your immediate role. Yeah. And what's your approach to helping to create that support network and those those people around you that may be internal in the organisation, but, but often aren't? Because that's the out, you know, then they're, then they're perhaps in a bit more of an objective situation or can give you some advice where you might, or some input that might not mean that there might be some other agendas going on. What have, what have you done to, to build those, those networks and the support around you? So um, definitely having an internal person is good. So someone who might be, you know, on the senior leadership team with you, who you have a rapport with. Um, but, you know, again, it takes time to build that rapport with that person. And it might be just, you know, having coffee with them, you know, every couple of weeks and just checking in with them and seeing what's going on with them and just being, you know, having that shared kind of um sounding board for each other and, and going through the issues but again having that circle of trust that you know okay 
I am talking to Campbell about this, but I know it's not going to go any further, that this is for our discussion only. And as well, sometimes, you know, it might be better to, if it is a certain situation and you might be considering, I don't know, leaving an organization or there's something that it's in your interest to actually not talk about it internally, but there's someone externally that you really trust and can um, have you know, get advice from, for me, that has been, you know, previous leaders that um, I really respect and still have a really good relationship with. Um, they certainly have been people that I felt comfortable with talking about certain situations. So it's just really identifying who are the people you trust, who are the people you respect, and who would you go to for advice. And and also perhaps digging the well before you need before you need it so that you've you've built the relationship it's not done out of a stressful situation um perhaps one of the questions a new leader might be asking is well why would someone do that for me what what have you found that's you know what's in it for them i guess because it's it's pretty obvious what's in it for you which is the the support of someone who's maybe been there done that and, and uh can give you advice based or input based on their experience but also their connections within the organization but what's in it for them that might make it attractive for a leader to reach out to someone in a more uh, experienced position that might make it easier for that person to say yes? I guess it's, um, you know, for me and certainly when I've been, you know, um, a support to other people who are kind of coming up the ranks, it's because I know what it feels like when you need um, that support and that, you know, advice and um, just being a sounding board for someone. So, um, yeah, it, it's really about having that relationship and maintaining that relationship. I think, you know, if you leave an organization and if you've had a really good relationship with a leader, then when you leave that organization, try and continue to have a good relationship with that person. Um, it, it's just really important um, to, to keep connected. And I think, you know, the strength of your network really, really serves you in your career and just knowing who those people are and, and knowing that they will have your back and, and you can talk to them in a safe space is, is just incredibly important. Yeah, that, that ability to be able to talk in a safe space, that's probably the key there. So you mentioned circle of trust before, so you, you have absolute trust. One of the things that just occurred to me is what in terms of what's in it for the, the more senior person that might be supporting you is it also gives them some visibility into the rest of the organisation that they might not otherwise get because people may not be feeding them the the whole story or you know a, a, a view of it that might not might not be broad enough and and deep enough for them to be able to make really good decisions and may mean that they miss some stuff. So even within an organisation, uh, could be really helpful. Yeah, and I think if it is someone that you're talking to who's within your organization, they may have a different context to things as well that can give you clarity around, you know, what you need to do or things you may need to think about that you hadn't considered because they do have that other, yeah, that other context that you may not be aware of. Yes, yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, just to change gears slightly, Kathy, in your role in NZ CIO, uh, uh, when you CIO for New Zealand, um, you must have contact with a broad range of leaders right across New Zealand industry and right across um, the the levels of experience and and seniority. Are there any any sort of strong themes that you're seeing recently that have come out of the challenges that we've had over the last couple of years around um, what's what makes um, leaders more successful or more effective in 
in the current sort of hybrid hybrid environment we find ourselves in and trying to manage people remotely. Yeah, it's, it's an incredible privilege that I have, you know, talking to so many CIOs and CDOs and IT managers and, you know, a, a, a wealth of people who are um, really senior in their industry. Um, and a lot of the themes that are coming through, um, talent shortage is a, is a big issue at the moment. So not having, um, and not, and, you know, having so many roles, but actually not having um, people to fill those roles. Um, getting more diversity into roles as well. So um, the IT industry, you know, only I think less than 8% are Maori and Pacifica, um, which is just um, a shocking statistic. Um, and also getting more women into IT roles. So that's definitely a focus for a lot of the leaders that I speak to. And when it comes to remote and hybrid work, it is a real challenge, um, particularly less so when it was 100%, you know, in the office or 100% working from home. But I think a lot of leaders are struggling with that hybrid model because, you know, you might be having an all hands meeting and you have, you know, put on catering and, and, and then suddenly someone's like, oh, well, that's on a Wednesday. That's my work from home day. So just some of those kind of tricky conversations are coming up and, you know, it, it is a challenge, I think, for leaders to try and manage that. But I, I don't think we're ever going to go back to 100% in office. I think, you know, this this hybrid um, way of working is, is here to stay in some form. And, you know, people have really embraced that. And I think it's given people a lot more flexibility in their lives. And, um, you know, there's definitely been such an appreciation over the last two years about the importance of having, you know, good work life and um, not necessarily balance, but good work life interactions. And, you know, if you have a good home life going on, then you have a good work life going on. And if things are going poorly at work, then, you know, you can bring that back into your home life as well. So I think there's been a lot more. Um, consciousness of um, of the importance of of having a, a really really good setup for your employees and making sure that they they can thrive whether they are in the office or whether they're working from home. Yep. And is that when you say a good setup, is that the, having the, the the you know the, the the connectivity, the technology at home that allows them to either use their own, their own gear or company supplied gear? Um, is that what you mean by by the setup? Well, I, I think setup as in yes, absolutely. I think the the tech the tech itself is just a hygiene factor. You know, you need to make sure that your people are connected and have the tools, but also a good setup in terms of flexibility. So, um, you know, things have changed, and you know, people are a lot more conscious now about you know if they're unwell, staying home, and if they have kids who are unwell, staying that they're staying home and being looked after. So I think you know having that mindset sh shift of you know it's not necessarily nine to five anymore. And there does need to be a lot more flexibility if someone needs to start early and finish early or, you know, have a couple of hours during the day because they want to do the pickup for school. You know, so I think there's a lot more um, consciousness about that amongst leaders these days. Yeah. And is there anything that stands out that you've seen across your um, visibility of the, of the te technology space and the, the, the leaders that you deal with that seems to be working any specifically really well any any thoughts in that space um 
Like, I know that's a huge question, so if the answer's no, that's, that's I, I mean, I think a lot of people are trying different things. Um, and, you know, I spoke to someone recently whose team is all remote and they're globally, you know, his team is all around the world and he's actually never met any of them in person, which, you know, as a people person baffles me because I think you should always bring someone out for a cup of tea or a coffee when you, know, when you can. And... Um, but for him, it was, um, you know, he, um, you know, he checks in with his team all the time. And he even has a like remote, basically like a walkie talkie situation set up in his home. So if someone needs him during the day and he's, you know, working on something else that they can contact him. And um, just some other things that, you know, I thought were quite cool during um, the pandemic when everyone was in lockdown. Uh, one leader I spoke to, they had uh, a virtual Winter Olympics, which I thought was quite a neat thing. And just those, you know, um, little ways of connecting with people, um, yeah, in a fun way. Um, but yeah, I think it's still quite tricky, this hybrid situation when you have people in the office and people still online. Um, and I think, yeah, I, I don't think anyone quite has the the silver bullet for it and, and, and what's going to make it perfect. Yeah. It really just depends on the organization and the people and getting the best out of them. Yeah, that's right. It's, it, it, it comes down to there's a whole lot of variables. I went to a presentation the other day and uh, um, the guy that was speaking was talking, he'd, they'd run a survey across the US and Australia around you know, a, a bunch of stuff. But one of the things that he, one of the things that, and he was giving, he was giving some feedback on the results of that. But one of the things that he talked about that was just like, wow, that kind of triggered this thought to me that like, not only are we having to deal with people who are really comfortable in, a, in, a, in an environment at home and they feel really safe and happy there and, and people that are really need the social contact and that aren't getting it and they're struggling with it. And then, so then you come back into the office, but there's people that don't necessarily want to come back in. Then there was all the generations. And what, what it was that really triggered the thought for me was that he said, you know, there's a whole bunch of people that have been employed since into organizations since the pandemic started that have never ever been into the office an office in their whole lives ever. Mm. And so they don't even have an experience of what that might be like. And then there's people who have lived, you know, at the opposite end who have spent almost all of their working life in the office and have barely experienced, except for the last two years, working away from the office. And so, and in between that, there's a whole bunch of different stuff that's going on. So it's, you know, there's a whole lot of things that all come to play in this, right? And it's definitely not a an easy answer or one size fits all I could imagine um, absolutely and then for those people who you know like you say who've just you know their their career has started out and has just been working from home you know they turn up to the office one day and you know even things like what's the dress code is there a dress code you know and they rock up in their pajamas or something <laughs> there's a whole different you know there's all these nuances of working in an office that if you've never experienced that before that you definitely have to to grapple with in those first few months yeah, so so note note to self as a new leader that um, especially for the staff, for your staff that have never been into the office before, you know, helping them to understand the the lay of the land when they're coming back into the office where they may not have and where they might be, you know, experiencing some real um, uncomfortableness and uncertainty and possibly fear around well, what do I you know what do I do in a place that I've never been to before? And yeah. especially if there's an expectation that they must come in, with, you yeah. know, and that that will happen from time to time, presumably. Absolutely, and I think you know if you do have staff in that situation, you really need to think through. Okay, they started a year ago or eighteen months ago, but actually, have they had a proper induction? Because mm. it baffles me how poorly inductions are done, and you know, 
to your point, you know, actually even knowing the layout of the office, where the bathrooms are, where you go to, you know, get a drink of water, all of that. It's just basic stuff, but you would look like an idiot walking into an office, wandering around going, I've worked here for 18 months, but I I, I don't know where to get a cup of coffee. Can you help yeah. me out? Yeah. <laughs> So, so having some empathy and some some uh, understanding that of the of the various challenges across the, the different levels of experience of people and and where they've been and what they um, what they might need in terms of helping them come back to the office either you know on a more often or less often basis. So yeah. Um, so just to um, to talk about leading leaders, one of the biggest challenges that a lot of new leaders have is they get. They get selected into their role because they were the best at what they did technically. So they've got a great toolbox of doing stuff tools, and then they've got to get their leadership toolbox um, underway. And it's a and it's a challenge. And, and often, uh, often they end up because the person that put them in the role is so busy and so flat out, and they're they're struggling to keep up in their own role, or, or, or for whatever other reason, they end up being dropped in the deep end and having to sink or swim. Uh, which makes it really challenging for new leaders, especially when they've been really successful technically, and it can lead to a lot of stress and uncomfortableness. And ultimately, for a lot of for a lot of uh, new leaders that are in that position, they they just struggle so much that ultimately they they may leave, and you've lost your best technical person, and you've lost, and the team's still leaderless. Um, what are some of the things that you've found when you've been leading leaders that would help them? to, um, you know, when you've appointed someone into a new role or come into a role leading leaders to help them um, succeed more comfortably and perhaps make it a lot less likely that they're going to fail. Any thoughts well, around around that? Well, I think, you know, just, you know, reassuring that them, that they've been chosen because you, you, you believe they can do it. Because sometimes I think there is that imposter syndrome where people doubt, you know, they think, oh, I've only been picked because I'm the most senior person here or I'm very good at what I do. Whereas, you know, I think, um, A, when you're picking a leader for, for your teams, that you do make sure that they actually they do have that people piece and they really genuinely care about people and getting the best out of them because otherwise you're setting them up for failure. So being really um, deliberate in who you're choosing for those team leadership roles, I think is key. And again, I think just, um, you know, no matter how busy you are, just making sure that you do schedule time with your people to have those, those debriefs and those conversations and being a sounding board for them, you know, it needs to be in the diary. You need to make time for your people. You know, however busy you are, you know, they will be there sitting with these issues and they will be waiting. And then if they see that their whip is, is cancelled for the fourth time that, you know, quarter, it's it can be really dispiriting. So, you know, um, and I know I've been guilty of that in the past, you know, um, something will pop up that's urgent and important and my boss wants me to do this. And we've got, you know, a big project underway. And, you know, there'll always be times where, you know, you can't make those meetings, but just, just really, really, um, making sure it's a priority that you are setting aside time to talk to your leaders because um, it's, it's on you, you know, um, you really, really have to be a support for them. Not solving all their problems, as I said before, but just making sure that they do have time to talk things through and seek advice or let you know, you know, something is an issue because it might be a very small issue at that point, but if you can help them solve that issue, then it, it stops it becoming a bigger problem along the way. Yeah. 
One of the things that I've found in, in, through my uh, leadership career is there's been times with certain managers and leaders that I've had that I've felt uncomfortable to have those kind of conversations. And so perhaps on top of on top of the reassurances also to, to make sure that it's really clear that it's, this is a safe place to have this. You know, we're still holding you accountable and we've still got a whole bunch of expectations for you. But, you know, if um, if you don't feel comfortable coming and talking to me, well, then go and find someone else and I'll help you do that. But make make it, make the support, make it clear that the support's available in the organisation. Yeah. 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 And asking, you know, one thing I've really reflected on, you know, my time leading people is the questions that I ask people. And so, you know, not necessarily, you know, what do you need help with? Um, but, you know, really asking them, you know, digging deep into it. So it might be, you know, how can I support you with that? And what does that support look like? Because um, sometimes you may feel that you're supporting someone by, um, you know, letting them get on with it, but actually what they may need right then in that moment is your help and you know you do need to figure out you know am I better stepping in right now or am I better letting them get on with it and then coming back to me and and trying to solve it if they haven't been able to do it um, themselves so yeah just really thinking about the questions that you're asking people and how you can ask them in a way to really really understand the root of the problem and what they're dealing with because sometimes especially I hate to say it, but men, <laughs> sometimes men are, are um, I found are, um, they're reluctant to ask for help. And especially if you're managing someone who might be, you know, have more experience in the industry than you do, um, they might not necessarily want to ask for help. So figuring out what they need help with can sometimes um, be, be a challenge. Um, so really digging into asking better questions and, and really trying to understand what they're dealing with. Yeah, that's that's really insightful. <laughs> One of the big challenges with asking questions and seeking help is you might be seen to be incompetent, you know, the whole imposter syndrome thing that I'm, what, why am I here? Why do they choose me? I'm not good enough. And reaching out for help might be seen as a sign of weakness, particularly, yeah. you know, as you talk about meanwhile, I mean, I've been there before. I've not wanted to reach out for fear of, of uh, wanting to be seen weak or not or not knowing, and yet the other the, the flip side of that is actually that's the time you probably need the help the most. And for someone in a in, for a leader of that person to be able to recognise that and go, hey, come on, um, and and go past that and see the thing that they're missing is is uh, really powerful. And, and perhaps that's why it's so important, or one of the reasons why it's so important to have both men and women in leadership roles because they they bring different things to the to the party right definitely definitely and you know having both perspectives is you know it, it can be it can be amazing and just getting um that different view on things but um yeah for sure I just think sometimes you really yeah sometimes men especially need a bit more prodding on on what what they need help with yeah yeah so yeah that's, that's really insightful fantastic so Kathy just before we wrap up if you had a billboard that you could put anything on for a new leader or the leader the leader of leaders to help them succeed and and make failure much less likely what what would it be um well one thing and um, I, I really love this saying and it's something that i reflect on a lot is 
you're responsible for the energy that you bring to a room and you're responsible for the energy that you take away from the room. So really being conscious when you're going into, into work, whether it's in a virtual space or in the office, you know, the energy that you're bringing from work and also the energy that you're bringing home, you know, are you lying awake at night thinking about issues, you know, and just making sure that you actually are separating you know, the two, um, but it really is on you. You know, you can choose your emotions. You can choose how you feel about things. So really, really being aware of your emotions at work, I think is really fundamental to success and leadership. Yeah. And that's another amazingly insightful comment. So in terms of the energy that you bring with you, is that is that how you show up when, you, when you're at work? And is it, And is the energy that you take with you, is that how you show up when you, move back away from work into the into a back home or into a social situation or whatever is that what you're talking about or is that yeah is that is that right yeah absolutely you know I think you know being really conscious of how you how you're showing up you know how you are presenting yourself to your team how you're presenting yourself to the, the other leaders at work um, and being positive you know I uh, you know I am a relentless optimist and um, you know and I, I think you know as a leader you do need to be positive not Pollyanna about everything because obviously not everything is going to be positive all the time but you know having that um, energy and positivity I think is so important and also you know if things aren't going well at work or you know things didn't go your way just being really conscious about where you bring that energy and um, you know whether it be at home or elsewhere and um, so yeah just just being really self-aware and um, so yeah I, I just really encourage everyone to to really really reflect on on how they're feeling and why they're feeling that way yeah and, and that's an in the moment thing isn't it it's uh you know when you leave when you leave work to go wherever wherever home is or wherever you're away from work is to be um mindful and present around what where that separation is and it's not always easy to to, to separate and you know if you wake up at three o'clock in the morning because you've got a problem that you have to solve, you know, how do you, how do you, you know, can you do anything about it at the time? No, but maybe if you have a piece of paper beside the, uh, beside the bed, you might have a, you know, some, some solutions, but ultimately if you're worrying about something you can't do anything about right then, it's, it's going to take energy out from, from everything else and from the other people around you. Wow. Kathy, that's, um, that's been fantastic. Thank you so much. It's been awesome having you on the, the Human Edge show. Really enjoyed our, our conversation. I look forward to having you back on the show again sometime. Pleasure. Okay, thanks. Bye. Thanks for listening. If you have a friend or a colleague who would benefit from this episode, please pass the word along. If you have a friend or a colleague who would not benefit, but you haven't been in touch with them for a while, give them a call. iTunes reviews are great to get the word out and to help me create the show that's most useful for you. And if you're frustrated or having challenges or would like some help, guidance, assistance with your first leadership role, then check out integrationcatalyst.com in the link in the podcast notes below. Or pass this on to your boss to nudge them to get you the help you really need to cross the doing to managing chasm and get you powered up on your leadership and management journey. Oh, and if you want to make sure you don't miss an episode, hit subscribe. Until next time.